This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Mindsetters, another phenomenal episode in the can, and you guys are going to love this one with Jason Hartman, a experienced real estate investor. He's been doing this for years, has multiple podcasts, and is very, very insightful about how you can really set yourself up for success, the mindset of how you can defend against some of the challenges that happen during recessions. When people start losing houses and losing equity, how you can really set yourself up with a pretty interesting strategy that he gets into. I haven't heard anywhere else, and it's something that made me really think, man, is that something I wanna implement in my life? As you're listening to this episode, I encourage you to think, what can I apply myself? What is something that might work for what I'm doing or something that I can file away for the future? So if you love this episode, I encourage you to share it with friends, hit that subscribe button and drop a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. It helps us reach so many more people with our message as we're out here helping people live a better life every day through real estate. So let's jump into this episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am very excited to have Jason Hartman in the studio today. How are you doing, Jason? Good, Steve. It's great to be here. It is really great. Jason is the CEO of Platinum Properties Real Estate, Hartman Media Networks, and several other companies. I don't know how he does all of it. He's involved in a ton of different business ventures, helping investors buy turnkey properties and gain long-term financial wealth. You excited to jump into things? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how I do it either, by the way, to answer that question. So don't ask that question. <laughs> All <laughs> Sometimes right. I, I think I'm a little overextended. <laughs> Sounds like it, but you're, you're getting it done. But why don't we start out by taking a look back earlier in your life? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? You know, I, I think a real turning point in my life was number one, when I was 16 years old, I grew up poor. I lived in Los Angeles. I mean, you know, I had enough to eat, I'll put it that way, but we certainly didn't live the high life growing up. And I remember I saw an infomercial from a real estate guru when I was 16 years old. I got his book, I read three chapters, and then my mom picked it up, read the rest. She got really interested in the topic. Two years later, I was about to graduate from high school. I went to a real estate seminar. Shortly before that, actually, I discovered my three big mentors that really changed my life. Dennis Waitley, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, and Earl Nightingale. You know, those guys gave the general philosophy, not about real estate investing per se, but really a good core philosophy for life and business success. So at a very early age, you'd been hooked into this idea that real estate could be a vehicle. How did that end up manifesting from age 16 to where you're at now? How quickly did you take advantage of that idea? Or is it something that kind of brewed for a little while before you ended up Yeah, great question. Well, I mean, I was in high school, so what did I know at that age, right? When I was 18, I went to a big uh, weekend-long real estate seminar, and I didn't understand what they were talking about most of the time from the stage. So I decided I would just learn the basics. And where do you learn the basics? Just go get your real estate license. So that next week, literally, I shopped around for real estate schools. I enrolled in Century 21 Real Estate School for $99. And by my first year of college, I got my real estate license. That was just before my 20th birthday. Then I uh, bought my first rental property as I was 
selling real estate part-time to a few different clients, I bought my first rental property from one of them who wanted me to list it for them and sell it. I was 20 years old at that point, and uh, that was the start. And interestingly, Stephen, you know, my first rental property, some could argue that that was a bad experience. And I think a turning point, because I know you're all about mindset on this show, a real turning point could have been I could have easily, easily given up after that experience. My very first tenant I ever had when I was 20 years old, I had to evict them. They didn't pay the rent. They left the house in terrible shape. It was a little condo in Huntington Beach, California on Coventry Lane. You know, a lot of people would have just given up at that point. They would have just said, to heck with this. This real estate thing doesn't work. I'm sure glad I didn't, though, because I've made a ton of money (laughs) over the years investing in real estate with my own portfolio and then also the business side of it in helping clients invest in properties, which has always been my first love. And so uh, it's, it's really been a great ride since then. And what was it back then or what, what do you think it was that gave you that power to not give up, to not say, I quit right now and to kind of persist through it so that you can be the Jason Hartman we all know today? Well, I love your, the concept of your show. You know, that's exactly the answer. You, you know, the title of your show answers the question, investor mindset, right? I think that consuming so much of Zig Ziglar, Dennis Waitley, Jim Rohn, and Earl Nightingale in those very formative years when, honestly, I was going down the wrong path. My attitude was not good. I was not destined to be a winner in life. Listening to those audio cassette tapes, if any of your audience knows what that is, it was a little thing about this size, deck of a card, deck of cards, <laughs> and uh, it, it had a little tape in it, and you put it into a player <laughs> and listen to it. <laughs> and uh, you know, I just used to listen to those those audio tapes over and over and over again to really like internalize all of that material. Later, it was Ogmandino and a great little book that he's got. I'd highly recommend called Mission Success. Uh, particularly, there's a a poem inside of Mission Success. It's about five minutes long to read it. So it's a long poem. And uh, it's called The Seeds of Success. And that was very, very impactful in my life. I will have to read that. I love Og and some of his stuff. I haven't read that poem. But tell me, obviously, you're doing a lot of different things now. But what is your primary focus as an investor? Or what is it that you do for your clients right now? Yeah. So, you know, I've got my own real estate portfolio. I just sold one of my apartment complexes that I owned with a client of mine doing a 1031 exchange on that. I've done many 1031 exchanges. Income property, as I always say, is the most tax favored vehicle in America and the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. So, you know, I'm, I'm always doing my own stuff with my portfolio, but I'm also, I have a company that helps clients invest nationwide you know, we've done thousands of transactions over the years in helping people invest in, you know, many different states, for example, Tennessee, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Indiana, others, not just those, but uh, those would kind of be some highlights. In these sort of linear markets where properties don't appreciate very quickly, but they have very nice cash flow and very nice yield characteristics, those are the markets we like the best. That's what's keeping me mostly busy. I've also got a real estate software company called Real Estate Tools that helps people evaluate which properties to buy or not buy, and then helps them track the properties after they own them and track and manage them. So 
in the business where you're actually helping people, are you doing turnkey single family properties? Are you raising capital for larger assets or what's that focus look like? Yeah, good question. We don't do any capital raising or any syndication. We're really all about the direct investor. In fact, I have some of my teachings called the 10 commandments of successful investing. One that's been particularly well received by uh, listeners to my podcast and people that come to our conferences is commandment number three, and it says, thou shalt maintain control. It's all about being a direct investor. So we really just help people directly invest mostly in single family homes. That's the core of our business. But we do have some apartments that we've done over the years, some multifamily. And then uh, I also own a mobile home park with that same client I just sold the apartment complex with. So, you know, we do some other stuff like that, but the core is definitely single family. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So over the years in your experience, I'm sure you've ran into some times that you hit a big challenge or or what some would call a failure. Will you share with us one of those stories and what you learned from that experience? Well, has anybody listening heard of the Great Recession? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just over 10 years ago, you know, we saw the worst economy that we had in, in seven decades. I mean, it was pretty tough. That was certainly a landmark in my career. I'd been through a couple other recessions before, but none that severe. You know, that was certainly a time to reevaluate and change things. And one of the things, and this is going to sound very counterintuitive and very odd to some of your listeners, but it's the best advice. And I noticed what I'm about to say after the Hurricane Katrina disaster. So that was a couple years before the Great Recession. But everybody, if you just remember back to the absolute tragedy that hit the Gulf Coast, and I remember reading many times in the news about how the attorneys general for six states went to the big mortgage companies and made a deal saying that they had to have a moratorium on mortgage payments for at least six months because people were in dire straits, having their houses destroyed and their properties destroyed after Hurricane Katrina hit. And, you know, it made me think, Stephen, I came up with this concept and it really has served me and frankly, millions and millions of other people very well. And they may not even realize it. And that's why I want to share it today. So here it is. Remember something in real estate deals, the best insurance you can have, the best insurance, is a high loan balance. I know, you're nodding in a funny way right now, uh, as I see you on the screen. That's counterintuitive to some. But what it really means is that if you think about it, when the Great Recession came along, when natural disasters have come along, the people that got a break, the people that got some help, were the people that had the least amount of equity in their properties. The people that had the most leverage, the highest loan balance. Don't believe me? Well, <laughs> just look at history, okay? During the Great Recession, for example, okay, so during Katrina, let's go in order, okay? So during Katrina, if you owned your house free and clear, or if you had 50% equity in a very low mortgage payment, when the attorneys general made that deal with the big mortgage companies, with Countrywide, et cetera, saying there's a moratorium on mortgage payments, you can't charge anybody for X amount of time during the recovery effort. 
What if you had a small mortgage payment? How much benefit would you have received? What if you had a free and clear home with no mortgage payment? How much benefit would you have received? Zero is the answer, okay? Zero benefit. And then the Great Recession came along, and we moved into this era of loan modifications, short sales, workouts, people living in their house for three years for free, not paying a mortgage, okay? Investors renting properties that they owned and receiving the rent, but still not paying the mortgage for sometimes one or two or even three years at a time, okay? Who got the benefits, right? It wasn't the person who did the quote-unquote right thing that we used to believe was the right thing. It was the people with the high loan balances. And I remember one of our clients lost his job during that time. And he had a bunch of investment properties that he bought through our network, and he had his own home. And he, a very conservative couple, and you know they had two kids. And I remember talking to the man one day. I said, you know, how's it going with your portfolio? And he said, you know what? I've been able to get loan modifications on all of my investment properties. Every one of them, they did a workout or a modification with me, meaning they lowered the payment. They said, it'll be zero interest for two years, then it'll be 2% interest, and then it'll be 3% interest, or they forgave a certain amount of balance or allowed a moratorium on payments. He went on to talk about it, and he said the problem he was having was on his own home, the home he lived in for many, many years and raised his kids in. And I said, why? What's the problem? And he said, well, I tried to get a loan modification on that property, but they said I had too much equity. Mm. What you're saying, and I've never heard of it talked about like this. but I, I, I know. People will be skeptical. Yeah. But it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that what you're saying is that the banks have a good reason. They have motivation to work with you when you're in a situation where there's not a lot of equity in there. Right. But when you're the person in 2008 who had 50% equity in your home and the property value dropped by 50%, you lost 50% of money that was actually in your net worth versus the person who had just 3% or 5% of right. that equity in that property, they ended up losing almost nothing. They lost maybe the home, but they didn't actually end up losing real net worth income. So as they say on those uh, sleazy infomercials, but wait, there's more, okay? <laughs> but wait, there's more. Because it's even more than what you said. You summed it up very well. There's a whole nother layer to it. So let's go to the other layer. The other layer is, that if you are a lender, say you're Bank of America, and you've got, you're looking at a, a loan portfolio of 100,000 mortgages, right? And maybe 10,000 of those 100,000 mortgages in one of your mortgage pools is in default. They're not paying. People are behind on the payments, okay? If you're looking at that portfolio, and then you have your people do an analysis of how much equity those properties have, and say you want to segment that portfolio, and, and you look at, okay, we got 10,000 loans in default, and 7,000 of them have less than 10% equity, and 3,000 of them have 50% equity. You will actually, as a lender, I promise, you will literally become predatory on the people who have equity. And you will foreclose on them as quick as you can 
because you've got insurance. You've got something there to foreclose on. Versus the people with no equity, you know, you're going to go to them and you're going to say, hey, please, what can we do to help? Let's work this out. Don't default anymore. We'll lower the payment. We'll have some forgiveness in there. Or we'll let you do a short sale so you can get out of it. And we'll just lop off part of our loan balance. It's counterintuitive. But, you know, I realized this in the 90s. When I was in traditional real estate, I owned a traditional real estate company for eight years. I ended up selling that to Coldwell Banker in 05. But in the 90s, I remember during a big recession in in Southern California, where I'm from, used to be from, (laughs) from a while ago. Now I live in Florida. I would see these people that were living in their house for like, you know, 10 months, 18 months, two years, not paying a mortgage. And I'm thinking, you know, that is so unfair because those people didn't do the right thing. And the right thing was to delay gratification, to pay your mortgage down, to not be too in debt. And, but the world doesn't reward that. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just, it's wrong. Listen, I don't agree with any of this. I'm just saying it's the way it is. So your big takeaway here is that when you're heading into a recession, you actually which, which want to you have... Which you don't know if you're heading into a recession. Which you don't you know, know. But yeah. at any given time, you want to be in a position where you're highly leveraged because by being highly leveraged, you have more negotiating power with a bank. That is a mindset I've never heard of before. But what you're also saying is don't necessarily live beyond your means. You want to have that cash and capital to be able to hold on to the property shall you need to. Right. You just want to have that capital allocated outside of the equity. You want to have that money in the bank or in other investments so that you can, you know, you have room to maneuver. Okay. I teach a strategy and look, and I'm not recommending consumer debt or anything like that. I have no (laughs) debt. Okay. Except mortgages. Right. I mean, I lease my car. Okay. But you know, I, I have lots of money in savings and in investments and stuff like that. Right. I would never recommend any kind of consumer debt or anything along those lines. But real estate debt is different because it's secured by the property and hopefully it's long-term fixed rate investment grade debt. And it's tax deductible. It's got very low interest rates. It's very favorable debt. This is good debt. Okay. I'm not saying every kind of debt is good. They are not all created equal. I teach a strategy called refi till you die which is the most tax efficient way to extract the wealth from your real estate portfolio. And basically what it shows people is how to acquire their portfolio originally and then go ahead and keep that portfolio over time, let it appreciate, let the tenants pay down the mortgages for you. And then after, you know, seven to 12 years, somewhere in that ballpark, there's going to be a very good time, maybe even sooner, to refinance the properties, okay? Refinance the whole portfolio. You pull the money out of that refi, it's a cash out refi, okay? And you use that money for your lifestyle or for other investments. And then basically there's no tax on that borrowed money. See, there's no tax on borrowed money, right? You're constantly letting the tenants pay the property down you're letting inflation pay the property down. I teach another strategy I call inflation-induced debt destruction. Inflation-induced debt destruction. I know it's a tongue twister. Say it 10 times fast. And that strategy basically pays off your mortgages for you. And then 
when you get to a good cycle where there's a good spot to refi, where rates are really good, you refinance, you pull the cash out, you use that to buy more properties, or you use it for your lifestyle and it's tax-free. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it, it's not something that I've heard before, but I can follow the logic there. And it seems like it's something that, you know, as the listeners, as you guys are thinking about this, it might be something to consider. Well, how am I currently structured? Are you trying to pay down all of your mortgages so you don't have any debt? Or is there actually a valuable opportunity to do exactly the opposite? So Jason, I'm really curious here. The mortgage is an asset. You've got to realize if it's a long-term, fixed rate, low rate mortgage, that is a huge asset. Do not pay it off. Keep the asset. The only way you want to pay that off is through refinance. That's it. Don't pay it off. And that refinance hopefully is a cash out refi where you can get money back tax-free. So tell me, why do you think you've succeeded within an industry where so many other people have failed or maybe not even gotten started? Yeah, your show is about mindset. So circling back to that and not getting tactical, right? Number one, a sign of a winner and a sign of maturity. We all get discouraged about some people just kind of haven't grown up yet, right? <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of children walking around in adult bodies out there, you know, and we've all met mm-hmm. Okay. A sign of maturity is the ability to delay gratification for a longer term, bigger thing, right? We always face the choice every single day, many times a day. Do we get more pleasure or hedonism now? You know, do we eat that chocolate bar that tastes so good? Or are we going to be more focused on the long term health and wellness, right? It's a trade off, right? It's instant gratification versus long term. Do we save money to invest or do we blow our cash and party and buy a lot of consumer goods and buy a new boat? Okay. Most people are so focused on the appearances of wealth that they're going to lose out on the opportunity to create real wealth. So part of the investor mindset has to be the ability and the willingness to delay gratification. Okay. That is a very important thing. And if you think about it, with the individual or with society, the countries that delay gratification are the winning countries. The people that delay gratification are the winning people, okay? So we always face that choice, pleasure now or more pleasure later. And when we take it later and we don't need it now, it multiplies dramatically with what Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. Now, I don't mean like boring interest, like getting, you know, 2% or 5% or 8% even. But when it's income property, you can get returns upwards of 15, 20, 25% all in because it's a multi dimensional asset class. So delay gratification to save for those down payments so you can buy another property. Stop blowing your money. Okay. That's definitely one part of the mindset. It's such a good reminder because so many of us, we get into this cycle where we're working so hard and we're doing all the stuff that we know we need to do. And then we think, well, we need to celebrate. We need to treat ourselves. But actually, that's the moment that we need to tighten the belt and make sure that we continue to do the right thing so that we can enjoy it in the future. Let me make one comment about that. You're absolutely right. What you said is 100% right. I do think there is a small component. Well, not a small component but there is cause for some small celebrations along the way. And why I say that 
is because when we talk about the investor mindset, okay, it's important to our own psychology to reward ourselves along the way. It's just that those rewards should be proportional, okay? They shouldn't be extravagant. You know, you don't do one flip and buy a Ferrari. That's what an idiot does, okay? You go on a little vacation or, you know, have a spa day or something like that, right? Or buy yourself something you've been wanting, okay? But not extravagant, right? Have some small celebrations and don't be too frugal with yourself, okay? Because that's the whole point. I mean, look, the whole point is to make money, to enjoy a bigger, better lifestyle. But, you know, keep it in check, that's all. And everybody has to use their own judgment on that. I couldn't agree more. I think we got to live in the present moment, but that doesn't mean we have to forego the future just so that we can be gluttonous within that present moment. But So here's a big question for you. How would you define success and what is success to you? I think success is the the freedom to do what you want to do. However, I want to say with that, I don't think retirement is a good idea. I could have retired many, many years ago, and I'm still working, and I'm working kind of hard sometimes, you know, but I think it's important to be engaged in things. I think it's good for us. And, you know, the people that live the longest are the people who are caught up in the next project all the time, right? The idea of laying on a beach does, just, just doesn't appeal to me, okay? <laughs> Maybe to some people. But, but, you know, that is, it's, it's about having choices, right? It's about being able to make choices and not being compelled where you have to work, right? Uh, so that would be economic success. If you want to talk about general success, then that's a much broader topic, right? But economically, I think that, you know, that's, that's what financial independence is all about. Well, what is general success to you since you opened up the door? Well, you know, I'm not the authority on this one. Okay, first of but all. For you. But for you. But I like the definition that Earl Nightingale used, or really Dennis Waitley used. Is he sort of put an add-on to Earl Nightingale's concept. And Earl Nightingale was one of his mentors. By the way, I had Dennis Waitley on my podcast a few years back, and he was great. They define success as the progressive realization of a worthy goal that is being realized for the benefit of others rather than at their expense. So, you know, it's making the world a better place. But notice that they use the word progressive realization, right? It's not about the one big break. It's not about when my ship comes in. It's not about winning the lottery. It's not about making that one big giant deal. It's the progressive realization. Why is that progressive statement so important? Because the progressive realization means we are engaged on an ongoing basis in the do-it-yourself project known as your life. It's a do-it-yourself project, right? And that road to success is always under construction. You never get there. It's never a thing, you know, that old quote by Cervantes, the journey is better than the end, right? I think there is a faulty mindset out there that it's like, you know, this one big day, you know, or this one big deal. And it's not like that. That's just not how it works. I mean, when it works that way with like the lottery winners, you know, we've all heard about the studies of these lottery winners, you know, two years later, they're broke, they win a zillion dollars. And, you know, you can look at that on another scale in in like the NFL, right? 
why are all these professional athletes, how is it that they make all this money and go bankrupt? That's just crazy. It's because they don't have any discipline. They're not engaged in life. They don't have the progressive mentality. So with that definition of success in mind and on the road to success that you're talking about, do you, do you feel successful? Oh, yeah, definitely. Great to hear. Yeah. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. Tell me, what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? How can I pick just one? <laughs> I know, right? I know. There are so many great books, but I always go back to the classic, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. That's an awesome book. And it's just, it covers so much ground and it's really fantastic. We talked a lot about Dennis Waitley and Earl Nightingale. And the book that really did change my life is called The Psychology of Winning, 10 Habits of a Total Winner. It's a very short little book and it's fantastic. Og Mandino's Seeds of Success or Mission Success really good. I mean, there's so many of them. I don't ask me for one, but there you go. <laughs> I That's gave fantastic. you fantastic. I love it. So from a, from an inspiration standpoint, talk to me about how mentorship has impacted your life and how you look at finding a great mentor. So mentors are an interesting topic. In real life, I think mentors need to be, because they're human, they need to be given a break in the sense that they should be siloed, right? And what I mean by that is that don't expect one person to fulfill your, you know, role model example for everything in life. One person can be your financial role model, while another person is your relationship role model, where another person is your mindset role model, okay? Because there's all these different areas. Don't expect one person to fulfill all of that. It very rarely happens, okay, first of all. so. I think that the mentors available mostly need to be considered mentors we don't know personally, okay? Because there's a lot more selection. So when I talk about my four great mentors, Dennis Whaley, Earl Nightingale, Zig Ziglar, and Jim Rohn, I did meet Jim Rohn and Dennis Whaley. Well, I met Zig Ziglar, actually. I was on a speaking tour with Zig Ziglar. (laughs) Can't forget to mention that. And then, you know, Tony Robbins I met later a few times as well. And I think there's a lot more selection of mentors that are through books and audios and things like that than there are in your personal life. But the one way that if if you want to meet them firsthand, and maybe they're not really formally mentoring you, but I think you can get in contact with more successful people by joining a mastermind group. And usually that's got to be a paid mastermind group. You might get lucky and just have an informal one that you're invited to or that you start with people you know, but the likelihood is you're going to have to pay to join a mastermind group. And instantly, you will up-level the people you're around. Jim Rohn used to say, your income will be the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. You know, folks, there is no rule or law saying that you have to be friends with the five people you were friends with in high school 10, 20, 30 years later, okay? So get out of your bubble and go meet some friends that are achieving more than you, that are above you, that stretch you. Just by hanging around them, you will become a bigger, better, more successful person. 
that's such great advice. I mean, there's so much there to unpack. I hope you guys will rewind and listen to that again. And as we close out here on purpose, what drives you to live your best life every day? One is what I went back to, and it's not very sexy, but it's just the idea that I don't think retirement is good for us. You know, I think it's very important that we all be engaged in stuff. But, you know, what really turns me on? Well, as an entrepreneur and an investor, I love building things and creating things, you know, whether it be fixing up a property I own or creating a new idea that works in the marketplace or something like that, creating new content. You know, people have always told me for the last 15 years that my real estate investing philosophies are very original. They've never heard them anywhere before, and they haven't. And I know that because they came out of my own head, okay? Inflation induced debt destruction, refi till you die, you know, a zillion other strategies that I teach uh, and talk about on my podcast and in my conferences. So I love creating that stuff. It's really fascinating to see, you know, how can we look at this a different way and, you know, maybe use this strategy along with that strategy and kind of combine things to make a whole new strategy. I think that's really a fascinating thing to do. I'm really into consumer advocacy and just creating content. I I very much like to do that. I like to learn stuff and then teach what I've learned to other people. Well, you've definitely been doing a good job of that here. And I know you've been putting out a lot of content for many years and inspired a lot. So we thank you so much for that. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah, uh, my website's real easy. That's jasonhartman.com, just J-A-S-O-N-H-A-R-T-M-A-N.com. And then, of course, my podcast. I've got a whole bunch of podcasts on a variety of topics, mainly personal finance, but also longevity and a whole bunch of other interesting topics. So any podcast platform, just search Jason Hartman and you'll find them. Wonderful. We'll we'll include links to your website and some of those in the show notes. So thank you so much, Jason. Look forward to the next time we get to do this again. All right. Thanks again. And uh, keep the right mindset and happy investing. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.